but monotony will kill you. Anybody else ever felt that? As the, uh, as the year turns and the holidays start to be behind us, has anybody else felt that, uh got to go back to it now. And, you know, I don't know about you, but, but Christmas always involves a small, low-grade panic. You know, as you're like, oh, man, do we have everything we're supposed to have? And, oh, the people are coming. And, oh, we got to make sure that... And, and, and there's that desire to have everything be just right and beautiful and wonderful. And, you know, and really that panic starts, like, Halloween, maybe, you know, as you're heading into the holiday season, you know. And then and it goes right up until New Year's when you stay up later than you should and you watch the ball drop or pretend to, you know, because you slept through it. But, you know, and then you, you hear somebody else shout, Happy New Year! And you're like, yeah, I was awake, you know. And, and then it's over. And it's time to go back to living again. And the holidays that stretch out in front of us now are things, you know, they're, they're important, you know, like you know, President's Day is a big deal. I mean, when else are you going to buy a mattress? Right? I don't really know what that has to do with it. I'm really, really glad that we have Martin Luther King Day, but I don't know the feast that's associated with that. You know, I think it's super important that we as Americans recognize that man who used the gospel to transform our culture. But it's it's not Christmas, right? Even Valentine's Day. By the way, guys, don't forget Valentine's. It's in February. Helping you out. All right? It's time to start. You need to start your planning right now. It would be great if she had, like, open, like, envelopes and boxes and stuff. That would be great. Your life would be better. You're welcome. Uh, but the, the panic's not there. If you're a student, school is beginning again. If, you're, if you've got a job, you're going back ugh, to work. <clears throat> Excuse me, I didn't mean to do that. You're heading back into the grind and things just get back and it can be hard to lift up your eyes and before you know it, it's March. You know what I mean? It's easy to live into rhythms that aren't really living. It's easy to settle into doing the same thing every week You know, Monday always looks like this. Tuesday always looks like this. And if you aren't careful about the rhythms you build, those rhythms can be life-sucking and life-draining instead of spirit-building. Am I the only one who faces this threat? I know I'm not. It's a human reality. Human beings are designed to live kind of on a a low-grade autopilot. You know, where if you had to make huge decisions, if you had to live in the Christmas panic all the time, you couldn't do it. But if you live forever in the mundane, before you know it, you've forgotten to live. God knew this about us. He knows how easy it is for us to kind of fall asleep, to kind of forget what we're about, to forget who we are. In the law of Moses, uh, God saw to it that that low-grade panic would come upon the people several times every year. 
I think it was toward the end of the year that I actually talked about the feasts. I think it was just before Thanksgiving that I talked about Deuteronomy 16. I want to go back and revisit Deuteronomy 16. Um, I'm not going to be projecting it, so if you've got your Bible and you want to look at it, we can, we can look at it together. What, but what God does in Deuteronomy 16, and it's worth noting, this is not the only time He does this. Um, he brings this up several times. But He sets up in Deuteronomy 16 this rhythm of feasting. And there were going to be three feasts that were intended to settle the people of God into the story of God. You know, the, the most important of the feasts is Passover. Why is that the most important of the feast? Because it defines who they are and it defines who He is. It tells everybody that I am a God who is a Redeemer and a Savior. I save the slaves. That's my identity and I want you to know me that way. Because I don't want you to know me as the jerk God who's watching everything you do and hates you. I want you to know me as your Savior. So every year you eat a feast and you remember that I am your Savior. I also, that's in the springtime in the year. I also want you to remember me as your provider. So every year you're going to have the Feast of Weeks. What's the Feast of Weeks? Well, it starts when you put the sickle to harvest. And you start and you count up the weeks and you say, okay, we're going to have a harvest festival. We're going to have the Feast of Weeks, also known as Pentecost. We're going to remember that God has provided food for us. And so we're going to celebrate God as our feeder. As our provider, everything that we have comes from Him. We're going to remember it every year. And we're going to have the festival of booths or tabernacles. You've got to say the word booths very carefully. You know, there are too many words that sound like that. No, no, it's booths, it's tents, tabernacles. So what's that? Well, every year they remember how God carried them through difficult, dangerous places. And every year, they would do this. But there's an aspect of this that I didn't point out. Oh, by the way, what that meant was every year you go camping. You go camping in the fall of the year. You spend a week outside. You build a tent, and you live in it, and you eat in it. And you remember that there was a time when we didn't have houses. We lived in tents, and he guided us around through the will. But there's an aspect of all three of these. I didn't point out. If you got your Bible and you want to look at it, it's in, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, and it's in verse 16. It says, Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that He will choose. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. They will not appear before the Lord empty-handed. And what does that mean? Three times a year, they got to appear before the Lord at the place that the Lord will choose. Well, where's that? Well, when this is written, they don't know yet. You know, when all this is written down, they aren't in the land yet. They haven't gone over. They haven't, they haven't even taken Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem still is in the hands of enemy people. It's occupied territory. So they don't know that that's where they're going. God knows. He's going to pick out that place for them to put His name. And what does it mean, put His name there? Well, that's the temple. Three times a year, He expects people to come to the temple with an offering. In chapter 14, He he makes it clear, look, I know that carrying a tenth of your stuff to me, that's going to be kind of hard. And if you live a long ways away, sell it, turn it into money. 
and then come to Jerusalem and buy whatever you want. You want to buy oxen? You want to buy sheep? You want to buy goats? You want to buy strong drink? Let that mess with your head a little. We teetotaling Christians. He actually commanded, you can buy strong drink if you want and let your heart be happy with it. That's another sermon for another day. But anyway, the, buy whatever you want, but why convert it into money? Because you didn't want to have to carry all that stuff to Jerusalem, but you could carry money. But he, Why? Because maybe it's a long ways. In fact, that's how that verse starts. If, if, if it's too far for you, you're not off the hook. You know, I say, it's too far for me, so I won't travel. I'll offer the, to the Lord here in, in my hometown. I live way up here in the north. Jerusalem's way down south. I'll just, I'll just offer my offering here. Uh-uh. No, you won't. Three times a year, you're going to get together food. You're going to get together a couple of changes of clothes. Some kind of animal to put your stuff on. And you're going on a journey. Why on earth is God doing that? Well, God loves inconvenience. No, no, that's not it. (laughs) God hates monotony. God knows the danger. God knows how forgetful we can be. As Bob pointed out, we do this every week. I suppose you can turn that into monotony if you want to, but that's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be an interruption of your normal life by remembering the Lord. To interrupt. To flip things over, change things up. Every other meal that you eat, you eat in gratitude to the Lord, but you don't remember His crucifixion. But when you eat this food, when you drink this drink, you remember the death of the Lord and you proclaim it, you announce it until He comes. Why? Because we will forget. We're forgetful critters. Oh, we'll remember the story and that it happened, but we won't live in it. We'll settle down into life as it is and into the mundane and we'll just drift. And when you drift, all kinds of important things get lost. Like, honestly, my discipleship. It's so easy for me to forget that I'm not supposed to be an angry man and get real angry. It's so easy for us to forget that we're not supposed to be driven by our appetites, and we get real lustful. It's so easy to forget that we're supposed to forgive, and we get real grudgy. And we just settle into things that are never meant to be part of our character. And so God comes unto the law and He says, okay, here's the deal. Three times a year, you're going to have a serious interruption in your life. Whatever job you've got, you're going to stop doing it. And you're going to stop doing it for a while. If you live out of ways, you might have to walk for a week. And you're going to do that. Why? So that you'll remember who you are. So that you will remember what you are. Because if you're a good Jew and you live a hundred miles away from the temple... You know, like the way that Jesus did when he was growing up? Right at 100 miles. If you're going to live that far away from the temple, you're not going to be traveling to the temple every week, right? You live in rhythms that many of the people of God could never have even imagined. The kind of approaching God with the sort of regularity that you have 
So he's going to be like, no, you're, I'm going to make sure that every week you're coming to me. Now, of course, if you were a Jew, you'd been living in a rhythm of Sabbath. I mean, God knows we need the rhythms. But he's going to interrupt the monotony. Jesus, as a faithful Jew, did this. And we know about it from his childhood at least once, right? Because he, he pulled that, um, see you, Mom, thing on them, right? Have fun back home. I'm going to be back here, you know, and, and, you know, tried to kill his parents, right? That's why we remember that story. But remember how the story begins? They made the journey to Jerusalem, as was their custom. Why was that their custom? Because God told them to. And because they lived in it. Throughout Jesus' life, he made the journey to Jerusalem. His brothers one time in John are asking him, are you going to go up? Go on up. Go to the temple and proclaim yourself. Nobody who does the kind of things you're doing does it in secret. He says, I'm not going up. It's not my... And then after they're gone, he went up anyway. He lived in that rhythm of doing what the Lord said to do. Now, what does this thing do to us? Why does God care about it? Well, it's meant to be a transformative thing. And the reason I say that is because it wasn't supposed to be just about walking. It was supposed to be about worship. I mentioned already the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent were written for the purposes of going up to Jerusalem. It didn't matter whether you lived in the south or the north or the east. or Well, you can't live too far to the west because you get wet. But it didn't matter really where you lived. Wherever you were from, even if it was a higher elevation, you were going up. When you went to Jerusalem. Why? Because the name of the Lord was there. And therefore, no matter what the elevation was, there was no higher place in our lives. Nothing comes before the Lord. Nothing is more important than the Lord. Nothing is higher than the Lord. And yet, monotony causes us to forget that. If we're not real careful, our priorities will slide. And He'll, yeah, He's important and all. He matters. But this is the stuff I have to do now. And as I do this stuff, my heart grows cold. But no, I'm called by the Lord to go up. And as I go up, He provided songs for me to sing. Songs for me to rejoice in on my way, so that this journey and the, the character and nature of the Psalms of Ascent transform the journey into a journey into two places. Into my heart and into His. There is no greater adventure than that. Remember, adventure can hurt you. But monotony will kill you. When you start off onto this journey, you start off into a journey that is a grand adventure. An exploration of who I am and an exploration of what God is calling me to be. What kind of person am I really? These songs are not just, uh, not just pretty songs and they're, they're not even like hymns. You know, when we sing hymns, we sing songs that are, that are maybe theologically significant, but the, these songs are prayers. 
We don't have the, uh, the music for them anymore. I mean, some of the songs that we, the song we sang this morning, Unto the Hills, that's one of these psalms put to music, put to new modern music, you know, modern, like the 1800s, you know. Uh, we're singing some that have been written in the last, what, 20 years or so? Songs that, so that we can have music for these again. But even without their music, these songs sing in our hearts when we pray them. If you've been listening in 2017, then you know that one of the assessments that uh, the leadership of this church has made about the church is that we are facing some trouble. That we have some, some threats to our health as a church. And we don't want to ignore those anymore. We don't want to pretend they're not happening to us. We want to be engaged with God in the, in the revitalization of this church if that's what He chooses to do. We also are faithful in believing that that's how it's got to be. We have some say in it. There's some things that we can be involved in. But ultimately, it's a work of God, the renewal of churches is. The revival of churches. What is the most important thing that we can do? Prayer. Prayer is first, second, third, and last. It is the most significant thing that human beings, the the most significant task that we have in church revival, in church renewal. And this is a journey into prayer. That's, that's honestly why... I mean, there are two big reasons for working our way through the Psalms of Ascent. One is it's good for human beings. The monotony will kill us. The other is it's good for churches. It's good for human community. Because people who made these pilgrimages, they did it together. They sang these songs. They prayed these prayers together. And as they prayed together, God drew them into Himself. So what do they do? Well, they start off in a place of estrangement. Psalm 120 basically says, I have been too long in my culture and not long enough with you. There are things in me that ought not be there and I wish they weren't. I wish I wouldn't like everybody around me and I wish I wasn't just another one of these. I want to be your person. So even if you've got to burn something, burn it. And the Psalms progress to say, well, my hope though isn't me. It's God. I look around to the threats all around me and where does my hope come from? My help comes from the Lord. It leads me to analyze myself. To look in and say, what are my priorities? What am I thinking is going to lead me to a good life? Because when I settle into the monotony of just feeling the same pains and feeling the same rhythms and feeling the same distresses and starting to think that those rhythms are all that there really are, and I settle into that, I can start thinking, well, a good life would be found if I just had this or that. And my life becomes arranged to chase those things. The Psalms remind me, no. No, the good life is not found in anywhere but God. Unless God builds the life, the life doesn't get built. 
And so it's calling me to, to pray and remember my priorities, God. Help me to align them. How do I deal with the suffering of this world? Because there's so much of it. So many times when I'm mistreated, so many times when I have contempt, when I'm treated with contempt, and I'm threatened to become a person of contempt right back. What do I do with that? And the Psalms remind me, I pray it. I give it to God. Because the more I hold on to it, the more it leeches into my bones and that's the kind of person I become. And when I live in that regular rhythm, that's who I will be. No, let it go. Let it out of me. Let me give it to God. It reminds me that the pursuit of God is at the center of everything. That's seeking a, a, the well-being of the place where God is working is it, it, the most significant thing in my life. Because God is my hope for a good life. So I want to be with God in what He is doing. So I'm going to pray for the peace of God's place. I'm going to remember Messiah. Towards the end of the psalm, I remember the, 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 towards the end of the canticle of psalms. We sing about Messiah. And how He is our hope. The hope that this place will actually be effective on me is found in Messiah Jesus Christ. Late in the Psalms do we deal with sin. We confess as we head. We're almost to Jerusalem by the time we get to this. We look into ourselves and we say, Oh God, who could stand? Forgive me. Help me. And the Psalms end with two things. Fellowship and worship. That what all of this is meant to lead us to is to love one another and to love God. To prioritize and care for each other and to sing the praises of the God who saved. That's the journey we're going to be going on probably through April, through the rest of this cold winter and into the spring. We'll be praying these prayers together. We'll be singing these songs together. You know, it was, it's a sad truth that it, it was clearly Jesus' family's custom that they did this regularly. But I can't help but wonder how many people did. Of all of the of the commandments that that this is one of the least uh, we have no evidence of people very little evidence of people doing this of people actually saying I'm going to travel up to Jerusalem now it's a saying now you know when people take Passover you know in in America when when folks gather for Passover how's the meal end do you know next year in Jerusalem that's right. And there's this knowledge that, that I ought to be doing this. How many of us share that knowledge? I ought to be doing this. Not pilgrimaging, though. I mean, this is Old Covenant. Where's my pilgrimage? What am I supposed to do? Well, were you with me last year? As we worked our way through the Gospel of Luke, did you notice anything 
You know, one of, one of the big themes, anything that might bounce off of this idea, what was Jesus doing in that gospel? Walking to Jerusalem. That's right. In fact, it seems that the way that Luke has framed discipleship is all about that journey. Everything that we are is a step out of the mundane. We're meant to live discipleship lives. And so we can use these songs that they used three times a year all the time. We are meant to live in them, meant to pray them, meant to sing them, not occasionally, but always. We are meant to take this journey, not every once in a while, but all the time. Our mundane ought to be a mundane of discipleship, of living in the rhythm of being with God. It's why we come here. It's why we look for opportunities to serve. It's why we lift up our eyes constantly out of the rhythm to say, how can I be Jesus' person today? It's why the cross is called upon us every day. Why in Luke's Gospel, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him take up their cross daily and follow me. Brothers and sisters, we are to live as pilgrims. We are to live as those whose lives are interrupted. We are called out of the mundane of this world to live a whole lifetime of adventure an entire lifetime of traveling deeper and deeper into the heart of God. As for the next several months, as we work through these and we pray through these, may it bless our lives. May it help us to live pilgrimage lives. May it bless our church. May it call us into journey together following Jesus. May we find our lives glorified by what God is doing among us. Because God has called us into a wondrous journey, an amazing adventure, and it is anything but mundane. It may be that you look into your life this morning and you say, you know what, I I haven't been living a very adventurous life. (laughs) Mundane is exactly who I am all the time, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being trapped in rhythms of sin. I'm tired of being trapped in patterns of discouragement and despair and sorrow. I'm sick of those things defining who I am. Well, welcome home. This is a place that calls you to so much more than that. And if you need prayer to help you escape, we want to pray for you. We want you to let us know so that we can. You don't have to come up here to let us do that, by the way. Grab a friend. Grab one of us. Grab one of the elders. and Say, I need prayer, and we will do it. We'll do it right then. We'll do it for the rest of the week. And we'll ask, how are you doing? It may be that you came here today with a burden in your heart that has nothing to do with what I've been talking about today, but it's, it's heavy and it's hard and it's difficult. And you want the care of the church. Don't carry that burden by yourself. We're meant to journey together to share one another's burdens. And if we can help you, let us know. And if you aren't walking behind Christ, there's a great journey in front of us. Come with us. There's no better way of life than following that man. Join us behind him because he is amazing. If this morning you're subject to the invitation of God, there's room right here. Why don't you come while we stand and sing?